0: Hey, everybody. This next interview will blow your mind. It's with a fellow who has, as a lawyer, done over 100 jury trials, but is also a fourth generation psychic. His father was the psychic and a Navy SEAL. Mom was a designer and also psychic. The family stories are amazing. The connection between science and faith is truly remarkable and I, I This is an area that I absolutely love because it doesn't seem to me that these areas should be in conflict. And he shows scientifically how these areas interconnect. His book is called The Afterlife Frequency. Enjoy the interview. Welcome to Next Level Healing. I'm your host, Dr. Tara Perry. For 25 years, I've helped professionals, First responders, celebrities, Olympians, teachers, moms, dads, and people just like you achieve their results better and faster than they thought possible. This is where measurable modern science meets the quantum. We're so glad you're here. Let's dive right in. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Next Level Healing. I'm your host, Dr. Tara Perry. I am beyond excited today to introduce to you um, somebody that you're probably maybe already familiar with. Um, his name is Mark Anthony. He is known as the Psychic Explorer. He is a fourth generation psychic medium who communicates with spirits. He's an Oxford educated attorney, talk about a, a juxtaposition of um, characteristics there, who has tried over a 100 jury trials and is licensed to practice law in Florida, Washington, D.C., and before the United States Supreme Court. He was named Best Psychic Medium in the, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, OMI Awards. Yes. Sponsored by OM Times and iSpirit Media. Mark Anthony is known as the Psychic Explorer due to his extensive background in, this is a huge list and I love it, science, quantum physics, survival of consciousness, near-death experiences, which we've covered quite a bit on the show. Uh, history, archaeology, philosophy, and theology. He examines mystical locations in the United States and remote corners of the world to explore ancient ruins, mysteries, and supernatural phenomena. Mark has appeared on many radio and television shows. On the CBS hit show, The Doctors, he conducted a reading which cracked a cold case murder. Mark's multiple award-winning bestsellers include The Afterlife Frequency, Evidence of Eternity, and Never Letting Go, which is recommended by grief counselors and hospices worldwide. He's a headline speaker at conventions and expo around the world, and his credentials go on and on. Welcome, Mark Anthony.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much, Tara. It's great to be here. I've really been looking forward to uh, being here on Next Level Healing, and uh, I'm very impressed with the work that you do because it's so positive. And it's important for us to take these spiritual, and metaphysical, what used to be fringe topics and put it out there because we've become mainstream.
0: Well, what's so nice now, and this is what I talk about constantly, it's really nice to see the convergence of these supernatural phenomena, um, which aren't really supernatural at all. It's it's natural. It's just that in 3D, you don't understand... uh, other dimensionalities and other uh, perspectives quite so easily. Um, so um, it's really exciting to watch that unfold and and also to see what that does for people. Um, as you've mentioned in your book, um, there's there certain, for example, near-death experiences which are now quantified. I mean, it's been looked at yeah. from many different points of view. It's been it's been um, collected. The data has been analyzed, and uh, the p-values, which is how you you know, determine whether in science something's real or not are are just out to one in a billion and beyond. Um, So it's kind of past the point of arguing whether or not this is real or not, because there's so many veridical examples. But talk to our audience about, you know, when somebody's had a near-death experience, and I'd love for you to share yours, which you had when you were four years old, um, how does that change a person? And what are the commonalities that somebody can expect to um, experience if they come out of a near-death experience? What what kind of uh, shift in reality is that for them?
1: Wow, that's a lot of questions. That's a, that's a whole <laughs> lecture, and I love it. That's a and Thank you, Tara. I appreciate it.
0: Hey, guys. Studies are showing that 68% of people that watch podcasts regularly don't click the subscribe button. Do me a huge favor. If you like this content, click subscribe so other people know where to go for the cool stuff. Thank
1: you. Uh, first off, with with my NDE, I don't want to go into extreme detail because I cover that very heavily in my book, The Afterlife Frequency, and um, it it is what happened to me and what I experienced is so integral to the entire book. If if I give it away here, it'll it'll um, diminish what what people are going to get out of uh, out, out of my book. I am, um, but and and see. Having had an NDE at such a young age, it's hard for me to say how it changed my life because I was four. You know, people say, well, what about the life review? It's like, what? I was going to say like, which sippy cup I like better, you know? Um, <laughs> but but the thing is, in all joking aside, um, it certainly set the tone for the direction of my life because- before that, I was already seeing spirits and both my parents were, were mediums. My dad was a Navy SEAL and my mother was a commercial illustrator and that, 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 their story is quite fascinating. But um, about six months after that, I got very, very ill and I went into cardiopulmonary failure. And so I had this experience and I came back and and it changed the direction of my life now. In my work as a near-death experience researcher, I've dealt with hundreds of people who've had near-death experiences, and it is without a doubt a life-changing event. Um, my friend and colleague, Dr. Yvonne Kaysen, calls it a spiritually transformative experience, an STE and one thing for all the listeners: once you start dealing with the metaphysical realm, it's like science or law. We have an acronym for everything: an NDE (near-death experience), SD (shared death experience), DBV (deathbed vision), um, AD, uh, ADC (after-death communication). I mean, you're, you're just going to hear a lot, a lot of acronyms. But what happens with near-death experiences, and they have been studied worldwide. And there's two organizations, the International Association for Near-Death Studies, IANS, and then NDERF, the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation that my friend and colleague, Dr. Jeffrey Long founded. And NDERF is really um, amazing because it's a global database. So people from all over the world and doctors all over the world who have patients that had an NDE, they compile it. And here's what's fascinating is the data correlates. You know, people would think that oh, you have a near-death experience if you're Christian and you believe in a certain way. Except this database includes people from not just North and South America, but Europe, uh, China, an atheist country, Muslim countries like Iran and and uh, Egypt and Morocco, um, the Buddhist countries, certainly India, Hindu country, and there are are several similarities people feel a separation from their body they may feel a floating sensation Um, they have veridical perception which means they may see if it's in an operating room what the, the operating team is doing if it's a car accident they may see what people are doing in the aftermath of that sometimes their spirit will wander around like down the hallway in a hospital and hear what their family members are saying or praying uh, then there's their stages to it. Then they may go through a tunnel, a tunnel towards a light. And then when they, you get into the light, you will encounter loved ones that have passed. And then if you go even further, you will get to what I call the divine power we call God, because even the word God is too limiting and you will be filled with this sense of euphoria, love. And you get this weightlessness. It's the way I can describe it from from how I've felt it is if you're in a pool or the ocean and that the water is that perfect temperature that you can't even you know tell the difference between yourself and your body, you feel no pain. You don't even feel your body except you feel this sense of interconnectedness. And that's another one of these similarities, the interconnectedness fascinating my my friend and colleague Dr uh, Nancy Evans Bush and she is pushing 90 and she still is working on books uh Nancy's amazing she wrote that most near death experiencers don't think there's a god they know there's a god and in her work she's found that people who claim to have been atheists return from the experiencing oh no there 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 there's a god um race religion gender socioeconomic status doesn't matter whether or not you you know you believed in in uh, an afterlife doesn't matter so there's all these similarities and the thing is near-death experiences have been documented for thousands of years they didn't know what to call them um actually you have a great list in your book of some of the superstars uh,
0: that went Uh, that did document these, including uh, St. Francis of Assisi, who I adore. I love uh, the prayer of St. Francis. Uh, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, uh, Sir Winston Churchill. And you've got some great Churchill stories (laughs) as well. (laughs) Uh, um, Abraham Lincoln, uh, Carl Jung, Queen Queen Victoria, and uh, Sir Arthur Conan Conan Doyle.
1: Quite a list. Yeah, even um, uh, movie star Elizabeth Taylor uh, had a near-death experience, and she was interviewed, I believe it was by Barbara Walters, and, and Barbara Walters said, so who did you see? She was expecting it would be Richard Burton. It was Michael Todd. Um, it was her very first husband. And uh, Elizabeth Taylor was very much a believer uh, um, in near-death experiences. And Plato is believed to have had a near-death experience because in his book, The Republic, he writes what has been called the myth of Ur, er, E. R. And Ur is a warrior who died in battle and according to Greek custom, they stick him on a pyre and they're they're lighting the pyre and all of a sudden he comes out of it, you know, and they're like, oh, get him off there. And and he begins to tell everybody how he- He
0: comes out of it after 10 days. I actually have after, this in t- my notes. After
1: 10 days, yeah. After 10 days, he <laughs> was probably comatose. He in- was probably comatose, but comatose people uh, also have NDEs. Uh, like Dr. Evan Alexander, he he did not die um, technically; his body was still working, but they said his brain was so filled with infection. He's been on our show too. Yeah, Evan, he's a friend of mine, and Evan's awesome. And um, so, so um, her comes out of this, and he starts talking about things about seeing deceased loved ones, talks about the divine light, and he also talked about. Um, living a series of lifetimes, but between them drinking from the the fountain of forgetfulness. Yeah. Long story short, the ancient Greeks did not believe in reincarnation. So now Ur's er talking about reincarnation, which is another side effect of an NDE. People who emerge from it believe in reincarnation. They believe that we're all interconnected energetically. In, um, I'm giving away a, a little bit of one of my lectures. um, my analysis of, of the book of Jonah. Okay. In the, in the old Testament, the the book of Jonah, Jonah was a prophet. He was supposed to go to Iraq. Okay. And he didn't want to go to Iraq. Um, Back then they called it um, Assyria and he was supposed to go to the capital of the Assyrians, Nineveh. And he's like, no, I'm not doing that. So he hops a ship for Spain heading in the opposite direction. Well God apparently didn't like that set this terrible storm when the crew finds out uh Jonah disobeyed God they promptly threw him overboard to which then he swallowed by a great fish and after 3 days is vomited up okay first off there's nothing that could swallow a human being even a whale a whale's esophagus is roughly 5 to 6 inches in diameter and if something did swallow him, nobody's going to be able to survive the stomach acid, acids of any type of predatorial fish. It is believed, and I, I believe this, that many people take the Bible literally. Okay? So if you take the Bible literally, that's fine, you know, but it's it Jesus taught through parables, which are metaphors. Interestingly enough, so did Buddha. When you read the, the book of Jonah... The way he describes how he descended and then the Lord lifted him up, it follows the sequelae, the the symptoms of a near-death experience. So it is very possible that the book of Jonah may be the earliest recorded NDE on record. Now, for our literalist friends, in 2022, Mike Packard was a lobster diver off of Provincetown uh, on Cape Cod. And he was going to uh, get a lobster and all of a sudden he felt engulfed by something. At first he thought it was a great white shark, but um, he didn't feel any teeth. He just felt this pressure and then he thought, I'm dead. It was a humpback whale, um, took him in his mouth and then all of a sudden spit him out. Okay. And uh, he was injured and he was in the hospital. But then you see in ancient times, you ended up in scripture, but in modern times, he actually ended up on the Jimmy Kimmel show. Uh, being hailed as the modern day Jonah. So for our friends who take a literalist interpretation of the Bible, hey, maybe Jonah was, you know, sw- not swallowed, but... um. um Carried around just in the mouth, carried of. around in the mouth of a whale, and the whale's probably like, "What is this?" You know, because these little tiny curling thing, you know, it'd be like taking a piece of gristle, and then the whale promptly spit it out. So I'm sure the whale was equally repulsed as as Jonah or as uh, Michael Packard was. But but the thing is, uh, these type of phenomena have been documented for for just thousands of years. Um, a Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens is is believed to be an account of a near-death experience and that the three spirits, the ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, the ghost of Christmas yet to come, were the life review. So think about it. Ebenezer scrooge he's the very epitome of narcissism, materialistic, nasty, only cares about himself. And on Christmas Eve, he encounters the spirit of Jacob Marley, his former partner. So this could be analogized to encountering people that you know, who, who are in spirit. And then throughout the course of this, he is shown what he used to be a young man. There was love in his heart. He really liked this woman, but then the materialism began to grow, the self-centeredness that goes to Christmas present. He was then, then shown what he had become mean, nasty, self-centered. Nobody liked him. Everybody made fun of him, despised him beyond his back. And then there was a projection of what might happen. In the future, when he died and nobody would even care, he'd just be a a lost, you know, lost thought. So he emerges from the experience, a changed man. He starts becoming charitable, loving, giving. These are the things that happen to people when they emerge from a near death experience. People lose the sense of materialism. They look at everyone as brothers and sisters, how we're all interconnected. And Charles Dickens we have to keep in mind was a genius he was a literary genius and uh, he had been in a couple train wrecks in his life he'd been um and his he had come very close to losing his life on several accounts and the ghost of christmas uh, yet to come could be analogized to what we call a dnde a distressing near death experience also known as a hellish nde where people they have these experiences and they get like really scared from what they're they're exposed to now does this mean there is a hell or is this a cosmic wake up call so so it's an interesting well you write thought. about this
0: in your book also uh I you do. tell this wonderful story about a uh gosh not a, not Thor. a great human being that, yeah, that uh, yes Thor. yes that, that, <laughs> wanted, that came back and you were terrified because he's like you you had been involved in his legal case and he he went against your legal advice and uh, showed up after a much lengthier stay in prison um tell us that quickly that story that's um because it's really it's really fascinating how you know
1: I want people to read that that's in my book. Um, That's in my book, but suffice it to say, in the course of my law practice, I came into contact with a lot of people, um, and some of them not so savory. And Thor was a fascinating person. He was as mean and nasty and evil as it gets, but he had a near-death experience, except he had a distressing near-death experience. So... Um, What percentage
0: of near-death experiences? um, You had mentioned your friend, Jeffrey Long, um, and according to um, the Near-Death Research Foundation, uh, 774 NDEs occur in the U.S. daily Daily. alone. That's that's a huge number.
1: It is, and people have been very afraid to talk about it because of the social stigma. It's becoming more accepted now. Um, Roughly... 5% of the near-death experiences appear to be the hellish NDEs Um, because people say there's a devil, there's demons, there's this, there's that. And maybe there is, maybe there isn't, or maybe this is a way uh, for you to get a wake-up call because in the- And what
0: percentage of those people who have those hellish ones uh, go on to live better lives? I'm guessing it's pretty high.
1: Very high. As far as we can tell, it's pretty much everyone. I mean, after you see something like that, they're telling you, we're giving you a chance, okay? Uh, unless you are about as dumb as it gets, you're going to change.
0: So wouldn't the world be like demonstrably better, like very quickly, if everybody had a near-death experience?
1: Well, don't we already... I mean, look at what's happening in the world. Human beings, um, on one hand, are the most remarkable creatures, and yet the most foolish. Mm. It's as if we're a bunch of baboons in a China shop with, you know, we have hammers Mm. running around. We have this beautiful, pristine world hand grenades. (laughs) Um, We've been through two world wars in the last century, and now we're on the verge of the third one, except, uh, you know, too many countries everybody has uh, wants and has nuclear weapons. Um, if, if the hellish conditions on this planet aren't a wake up call enough, I don't know what is. And you know, I know a lot of my colleagues are like, oh, let's just raise our vibration and everything will be better. And it's like, well, we can sit there and send happy thoughts to Vladimir Putin and ISIS all day long, but I don't think it's gonna have much of an effect. Um, those people have to have an inner change. That being said, that doesn't mean that we should not on an individual and group basis make each day count and be as good as we can. Because the more people that embrace the light, the less effect the people who foster the darkness and the aggression are going to have power. Um, you know, Putin only has power because the people around him are terrified of him and allow him to have it. And the same thing, you know, with ISIS, you know, they're able to recruit these people that, that do these things. And I don't want to get political, but I mean, but you can pick any time frame in history. You know, people say, oh, today's so horrible. What, like the Roman Empire was a picnic? You know, 100%. I mean, getting thrown into the arena to be the entertainment on a Saturday afternoon wasn't so much fun. How about the medieval era of the Black Death, the Black Bubonic Plague? That was a real, you know, and, and you go throughout history, there's never been this utopia uh, where everybody held hands and sung kumbaya. And and I, I still don't think it's wrong to strive for that or pointless, um, what I think is based on, on my experience as a medium in, you know, I was raised in the Catholic faith and there's heaven, there's hell. And then of course there's purgatory. Purgatory is like cosmic probation. You know, you're not bad enough to go to hell, but not good enough to go to heaven. So they stick you in purgatory for 50,000 years and, or whatever. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm making a joke here, but it is, it is not unusual. Most belief systems have different levels to the other side. Islam has seven different levels to heaven. Uh, the LDS, uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormon church has three different levels of, of heaven. Um, the, the Hindus and the Buddhists have a multitude of levels. So they're frequencies. I think when we describe this in 21st century terms, talk about frequencies. I don't believe that there is an eternal pit of suffering that you and I would call hell. I believe that is here on earth. And that we live a succession of lifetimes, because that's another thing, and I touched on that earlier with near-death experiences, is people who emerge from it believe in reincarnation. And um, I'm giving lectures uh, at a couple different venues, the Edgar Cayce Center um, field conference at Unity of, of Tampa in late April, and then in early May at Edgar Casey's headquarters in Virginia Beach on, on the science of reincarnation and near-death experiences so we have one life it's eternal but we come into this world then we leave it then we come back and it's an it's an eternal cycle the flow of life so why do we need hell when we've got gaza ukraine somalia um starvation throughout throughout the world um you know people in the united states who are just homeless and and suffering Hell exists here on planet Earth. Um, we don't need a jerk with a pitchfork sticking in the butt to motivate you to do negative things. Um, Are you that's, a Buckminster Fuller
0: you. fan? Uh, he said, uh, I don't know if it's going to be utopia or oblivion, but it's going to be a touch and go relay race at, right up to the very end. In this
1: world, up to mm. the very end? Um I I would say to some extent that's true. I'd say to a large extent we create our reality. However, to a large extent as well, um, let's say people get cancer. Well, they didn't want to have it. They didn't make it happen. So I I would say there's quite a bit of validity to that statement.
0: In the Diamond Sutra, it talks about how uh, nothing is more powerful than an individual Experiencing enlightenment. What are your thoughts on that? Because uh, and and Byron Katie likes to talk about there's your business, there's other people's business, and there's God's business. And the only sane thing to pay attention to is is your business. Um, and that doesn't mean not taking part in what you can to make the world a better place. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Because I know you've studied the Vedas and um, your 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 knowledge base of of many different uh, thought. Uh, Uh, traditions around the world is, is rather enormous.
1: I think that's a, a very powerful statement because you're looking at things from your perspective and nothing's more powerful than an enlightening experience. Um, I've certainly had, had uh, uh, more than one, but one in particular that was that, that definitely changed the direction of my lifetime. And The question, though, is once you have that enlightenment experience, what are you going to do with it? And I think start with yourself before you start trying to save everybody else. You've got to work on yourself. Take Um, the plank
0: out of your own eye.
1: Yeah, precisely, precisely. So I, I would agree with that. But you also have to realize that once you have that enlightenment experience, like I said, how do you apply it? Anybody can be enlightened when you're sitting on a mountaintop in Sedona. Okay, it's beautiful. It's like, Oh, I'm so at peace with the universe. And, uh, all right. Now, now you're struck, stuck in traffic in LA. <laughs> all right. And you got to be oh, no. somewhere in five minutes and there's no way you're going to get there. And it's just miserable. And you've had, you know, you had, uh, too much water to drink before you went and it's like, ah, you know? And so, so that's the real challenge. Uh, the real challenge is when you're in your everyday life. Is that where you're enlightened? You know, because people go around. Oh, yes, I was at this mountaintop and I was so connected to the universe. Well, that's not just an isolated incident. You're supposed to be connected everywhere, and that is the challenge. Um, and you know, I got to admit, I'm, I'm, um, I'm not, uh, I'm not always. That guy. Uh, I remember there was this old Disney uh, cartoon. It was so funny. It was Goofy, and he comes out of the house in the morning. And said he's mild mannered, you know, and he's super nice and all that. But then when he gets behind the wheel of a car, his fangs grow and he turns into this monster. And they were explaining about when uh, it was. It was um, uh, a cartoon, probably made in the the 1950s, to teach children. Um, about power, and that some people think that getting behind the wheel of a car gives you power. And they showed how mild-mannered Goofy turned into this almost werewolf-like creature, and and because he's behind the wheel of a car, that didn't give him a license to be aggressive and rude and nasty. And so uh, I always enjoyed uh, how we can make a point through through fantasy. Through fantasy and fiction, you can you can overemphasize something to to make it a point.
0: So hell is basically the four hundred (laughs) five freeway.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, It is. Um, I mean, yeah. I I I, I've
0: I've, I didn't understand until recently that um, psychic ability um, actually does run in families, um, and you're a fourth generation psychic. And there's some really interesting stories uh, about. Your family and and yeah. their experiences, and the one with your aunt particularly indicates yes. why people didn't want to talk about this. And your father's admonitions to not share this because uh, people might not be
1: ready for it. Would you tell our listeners about that? Certainly. When I was around three and a half years old, I started seeing spirits, and all of a sudden, you know. Which is is on its face not unusual for a toddler to have invisible friends, but when mommy and daddy can see who I'm talking to, and I remember mom going, "Oh, he's got it," and my dad was like, "God, oh, geez, he's got it," you know, <laughs> and and um, my parents were just talk about this to us, and I remember I started uh, first grade when I was five, and when I was getting ready, and I, I went to Catholic school and uh my dad said do not talk about this to anyone except your mother and me because people who see things others don't get taken away and that really got my attention and uh you know then when i was in catholic school they're talking about angels and saints and all these invisible entities i thought well this is great and then i started listening to more about what they were saying and realizing yeah maybe i shouldn't shouldn't talk um uh, about about what goes on at at my house, but what had happened, and I didn't figure this out or discover this until I was in my twenties. Um, my father he had four siblings, three sisters and a brother, uh, and one of his sisters, Marjorie, had these abilities. As did his mother, Isabel, and maternal grandmother, Grace. And then it also runs on my mom's side of the family. That's a, a whole nother story. But about 20 years before I was born, uh, Marjorie, she was married to this guy who was a, a religious fanatic, and I'm being kind here. He didn't like her abilities. He thought they were from Satan, And but she could anticipate future events in addition to seeing spirits. And one day, he was getting ready to go to work, and he worked as a machinist at a steel plant in, in Pennsylvania. And Marjorie had a terrible feeling that morning, and her stomach was hurting because it's your your solar plexus, and and she she had a big argument with him and begged him to stay home, and he was like, oh, you and your voodoo stuff, and they got you know, but he decided to to stay home because she was crying. Well, that day at the steel plant, um, Tara, this crane was lifting thousands of pounds of steel beams. And suddenly the cable snapped and the beams crushed the machine shop that he worked in and killed everybody in it. Now, there was about a 99% chance he would have been in the machine shop. And instead of being grateful, it intensified his fear of Marjorie. And he conspired with an unscrupulous psychiatrist who diagnosed her as a paranoid schizophrenic and they sent literally they sent a an ambulance to her home two guys in white coats came out they they forcibly removed her from her home put her in a straitjacket if took her to a mental institution where she was subjected to electroshock therapy for over 6 months they did so much oh my my dad said they they did so much damage to her that when she emerged from that experience, she was a shadow of what she had once been. She never talked about seeing spirits ever again. And that's why I I realized when I was a, a little boy, because my dad scared me. So like, you don't talk to anybody, you know? And 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 then I realized, you know, my dad was a Navy SEAL and sometimes he wasn't always as cuddly. In his delivery. He loved us very much. Dad was real tactile. He would hug us. But sometimes when he was telling us something, you better listen. Now I understand why he was afraid. Because back in those days, um, we were treated as as mentally ill, delusional. People were afraid of us. There's countries in the world today, and I'll name it, Saudi Arabia being one of them, where people that uh, exhibit these abilities are beheaded Okay. This is the 21st century. So um, psychics and mediums have been persecuted throughout the century. Look at, say, Joan of Arc. Joan of Arc, uh, who who heard voices and she was able to lead the French army to victory in the Hundred Years' War. And you know, she gets repaid and, and by was being- was
0: later canonized, but boy, did they not thank her at the time.
1: <laughs> no, they burned her at the stake. Yeah. you know. So, so throughout history, a lot of the um, um, Psychics and mediums have always been there. And one of the lectures that I give is called Rulers, Royals, Psychics, and Spirits Mystics Behind the Thrones of Power. And um, since ancient times, all the way through the US presidency, the US presidency, in fact, roughly one third of US presidents have had psychic experiences or consulted with psychic advisors. Um, you know, and it's all, you know, very hush-hushing. You know, uh,
0: Nancy Reagan was very well known for that, wasn't she?
1: Nancy Reagan. Yes, she was. with, um, uh, with Joan Quigley, who was an astrologer and I knew people that worked on the Hill and they said, uh, one of us said, yeah, Nancy was a pain in the ass because she'd go see that uh, astrologer. And then we had to change uh, the president's schedule around. Um, but she, especially after Reagan got, uh, uh, shot, uh, she was very protective, uh, um Gene Dixon is arguably the most influential psychic advisor. Gene Dixon, we know, advised Franklin Delano Roosevelt. She advised Rick, um, John F. Kennedy. She advised Richard Nixon. In fact, she even begged uh, John F. Kennedy not to go to Dallas. She had a real bad feeling, real bad well. feeling. And she even predicted Um, the death of his brother, Robert Kennedy. She was uh, at an interview at the Ambassador Hotel in LA. And somebody said, do you think Bobby Kennedy's going to be president? And she said, no, he will never be president because of something that'll happen right here in this hotel. One week later, one week later at the Ambassador Hotel in LA, he was gunned down by Sirhan Sirhan.
0: This is really um, one of the... Things also scientifically I love about your books is you talk about the equipment that we have in our bodies to uh, feel these kinds of things. Of course, there's the pineal gland, which has been written about also for millennia, and uh, the solar plexus, uh, the the second brain, uh, and numerous times in your book um, you're talking about people who have a bad feeling, and then of course something right. horrible does happen. Um, uh, there's this fabulous book. I'm sure you're familiar with uh, Gavin De Becker's The Gift of Fear. Uh, um, it's it's a wonderful tool that we have and something your father always used to say to you two things when you would go off to school. Uh, one is I love you, which is always important to say to the people around yeah. you because we we never are guaranteed we're going to be able to see them again. And then the second is be aware. Be aware, um, yeah. and that can save your life too. Um, so speak to us about the equipment that we have and the importance of being aware.
1: We have two major receptors in our body. See, everybody's capable of having a psychic or mediumistic experience, although not everyone's a psychic or a medium. In other words, we can all swim, but we're not all going to be, you know, Michael Phelps and win, you know, 20 gold medals. We can all play guitar, but we're not going to be a Slash or a Jimmy Page or, you know, uh, whoever whoever's considered a great guitarist these days. um, um, The thing is, we just are all good at different things. And the pineal gland is behind the center of the forehead. For people who do yoga, that's the third eye chakra, which is associated with the indigo color. And if you go about four inches behind the center of your forehead, in the brain, there's a small gland between the size of a grain of rice and a lima bean, and that's the pineal gland, and it's the most complicated and misunderstood and most studied gland in the body. It's the mysterious. It has a tremendous amount of functions. It regulates brainwave frequencies, circadian rhythms. In other words, when we're hungry, when we're tired, when we're you know feeling frisky, um, it it it. it processes, uh, or helps us process and understand light. And also it has been found to have calcite and magnetite crystal fragments within it. So the first, first radio was quartz crystal with copper wire running electricity through it. So we have this very sophisticated radio station in our head that regulates brainwave frequencies, controls our perception of light. Um, And then we have the solar plexus, which is at the bottom of the rib cage. And for our yoga friends, that's the solar plexus chakra, the, the yellow chakra. It's a pit of the stomach. That's why, okay, women's intuition, where do you feel it? You feel it there, right? Hey guys, gut instinct. Okay, you know, because guys don't like to say they're intuitive. You know, we want to be more Denzel or Harrison Ford or Chris Pratt. You know, and the thing is, the solar plexus is the second most complex bundle of nerves outside of the cerebral cortex, and it's been referred to as the second brain. Other creatures have have more than one brain. An octopus has nine brains: one in its head and one for um, each of its eight arms. Okay, so. So other other beings uh, on this planet have more than one brain. The solar plexus is where we pick up the emotional, the feeling, the sensory things. The pineal gland is where we get the visions, the data, the auditory information. So everybody has these two areas in your body. It's just some people may be more developed than others and you can work with it to enhance it. But once again, not everyone's going to be a medium or a psychic. And I know there's all these courses, be a medium, be a medium. And and um, I've seen some people just get so frustrated because they can't do it. It's like, you know, you're not going to make me a um, um, a javelin thrower in the Olympics. Okay, I mean, I, mean, I can throw a spear around, but I'm not going to be throwing a javelin, you know, 300 feet or whatever it is that they do. Um, and you just have to realize um, that's okay to work with it. But if it doesn't get to the point that you want it to, don't beat yourself up. Okay. Um, so everybody has these physiological, um, we have the same basic physiology. And like I said, some people are simply more developed at it than others. Okay. What was the second part of your question?
0: Um, gosh, you know, when I'm talking to you, I have a hundred questions coming <laughs> to me all at once. <laughs> so um, basically, I wanted to just uh, understand the basics of the equipment uh, so that sure. people have an understanding of that. Um, I hate to jump off to something completely different, but I'm so curious uh, your parents and how they met. And when two psychics meet, I mean, there must be a certain amount of relief because it's like two aliens meeting. And especially at a time when it wasn't really safe to talk about this, um, it must be a huge just sense of relief to go. Wow, I'm not alone. There's people like me. Um, there's people who can see, experience, download these pieces of information. Um, c- can you tell us about that at all?
1: Yeah, um, my dad had just gotten out of the Navy, so here he is, twenty twenty-two uh, year old sailor, all full of himself, and you know he walks into this dance. It was a, it was a, I think it was a USO dance. And he said, I saw this foxy looking dame. He was talking about my mom. It was funny is he thought she was like 30 years old because she was decked out to the nines. What it was, my mom worked for a high-end um, department store and she was in the fashion department. In fact, back um, at the time, my mom used to be a leg model for stockings because she had these beautiful... They, they used to say that my mother had Betty Grable legs. And in World War II... Betty Grable, her legs were so beautiful. She had them insured at the time by Lloyd's of London for a million dollars. In Whoa. today's <laughs> yeah, in today's dollars, that would be like a hundred million dollars. All right. So this is some time after that, and and uh, my mom had these beautiful legs, but she was only 19 years old. You know. So my dad goes up and says, you know, hey, can we dance and all this, and and uh, they were both really good dancers, and and he wanted to see her again. So they met at another dance, and at the third dance. She said to him, uh, my mother's name is Jean. We call her Jeannie. Um, my dad's name was Earl. She goes, before this goes any further, this just something you need to know about me. She goes, I, I, I see spirits. And to which my father replies, as only a sailor can, um, a bunch of colorful metaphors followed by I do too. Oh my gosh, this is such a great <laughs> story. I love this. And then they realized that their connection was more than just, he was a hot sailor and she was a foxy looking Dane. And my mother was a good Catholic Italian girl. Her family came from Italy and uh, her father was born in Italy and her mother was born here, but her mother's mother, Giovanna, was a well-respected psychic. And um, in fact, she was known in the Italian community of of Little Italy in North Jersey as the woman who knows things. And officials from the Catholic Church would come to talk to her, meet with her, um, discuss theological questions with her. And in fact, in 2016, PBS did a special, it was a four-hour, two-night special called The Italian Americans, and they actually did an entire segment on Giovanna and referenced her psychic abilities, and it was so cool because uh, when it was on, like all my cousins, you know, were calling each other every commercial, recurves. Are you see that? Yeah, you know? um, and and so this appears to be not appears to be this is a genetic trait that that runs in my family, and it's what's known as a recessive genetic trait. For example, a dominant uh, genetic trait would be right handedness. Okay. A recessive genetic trait be left-handedness. And so, um, because it, it skips a generation, not everybody has it. So when you get two parents with the same recessive trait, the likelihood that one or more of their children are going to have that trait increases. And that happened to be me.
0: Did any of your brothers and sisters inherit this?
1: They're, they're very intuitive. Um, they can, they, y- yes, uh, they're not mediums, but for example, I was talking to my brother one day on the phone and he goes, God, I got this really bad feeling that my son's somehow going to get cut. He goes, That's so weird. And all of a sudden I hear, Dad, I'm in! And my brother, I mean, my nephew was outside and he was sawing something and the saw slipped and sliced his hand open. And my brother goes, Gotta go. Oh, my um, God. So, so, yeah, yeah. Our, our whole lives were like that um, as well. Um, and in my books have, have these stories. The thing about my books, they educate but ent- um, entertain. And I introduce a lot of scientific concepts. And I don't want to scare anybody away because, look, I suffered through a lot of very boring books in the practice of law. I mean, if you can't sleep- Your books what... are anything but dull, Mark. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> They're
0: very entertaining. Oh my goodness. And the stories, I mean, we could literally sit here for, you know, a month and talk about these
1: crazy stories. Well, you know, I I, I want to introduce the science and then illustrate it with something that people can relate to and, and get something out of. Um, you know, one of the, the things about when people go for a reading- uh, we live in an instant gratification society. People expect a reading to be like, Alexa, Alexa, connect to the other side and tell me this. <laughs> people don't always understand the 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 message when it comes in. Um, I was doing a reading for for um this young man, and his mother died of cancer. And I kept saying, there's going to be a, uh, the, there's the dog, the little dog. And he said, we don't have a dog. It doesn't make any sense. He contacted me after the reading. And he said, when his mother died, uh, they were all there, uh, his, his brother and you know her, her siblings and uh, her husband, he was so upset. He went to one of the bedrooms in her house to lay down. And then he realized there was this little stuffed dog on the bed. And he said, he clutched that dog. He goes, now I know that that's what it meant. Mm. Okay. Um, I've got a lot of stories along those lines because a lot of times well, people you, when say- When you get into yeah. quantum
0: physics and what Einstein said that, you know, time past, present, and future is, is an illusion, however persistent, it seems to come up in a lot of your readings where it a message does. comes through that's very, very clear and doesn't become obvious until later on.
1: Yes. Um, one of my favorites with that- um, How much time do we have?
0: I can go as long as you want to go. I'm having a lot of fun here.
1: (laughs) Uh, Okay. I want to But I want to be respectful of your time as well. Well, um, what you just said uh, needs to be explained, and I'm glad that you brought it up. Uh, One of the key concepts in my latest book, The Afterlife Frequency, is the electromagnetic soul. Um, And that's my theory on consciousness, which also explains all the forms of spirit communication, reincarnation near-death experiences. Uh, Everything is made of molecules, which in turn are comprised of atoms, which are made of electrons, protons, and neutrons, and all of which are made at the smallest particle of, of electromagnetic energy known as a quantum. And that means everything. You, me, uh, the headphones we're wearing, the radio waves, the shows being broadcast on, the light of the and sun. What's
0: really cool about that is it's all ninety nine point nine nine percent empty space.
1: <laughs> and the empty space too is made up of these, um, the, the, this energy. That's why when people come out of a near death experience, they say we're all interconnected. That's what Jesus, Buddha, all the great spirituals are saying: is we're all brothers and sisters. We're all connected. And so now we know through quantum physics that we are. It's just that things vibrate at different frequencies. So this pen vibrates at a different frequency than I do. So we think this is an inanimate object, you know, but but we vibrate at a different frequency. So the brain does not create consciousness. It merely hosts an EM field, electromagnetic field, uh, which I call the electromagnetic soul. So we are pure consciousness, a soul of spirit that is eternal electromagnetic energy, which as the law of thermodynamics and physics, first law of thermodynamics says, energy is neither created nor destroyed, only transferred from one form to another. Albert Einstein's E equals MC squared um, says that energy can be converted to matter and vice versa, and they're all tied into to light. All right, and, I'm, and let me tell you, that is not even the tip of the iceberg of understanding that. Long story short, on the quantum level, which your soul is, so when we die, the body dies, the brain dies, because that's like a computer hard drive. It didn't create the, the EMS, it's the like electromagnetic It's like television going soul. out, but the, the frequency is still out there. Exactly. So I was doing a reading for this woman and her mother's spirit started talking about a seven-year-old boy connected to her in this world that has a problem with his eyes. And she said, well, I don't have a son, but my sister does, and he's seven, and he's been complaining about headaches. And she said, get him to the eye doctor. And then I said, now I'm hearing the song by Little Richard, Tutti Frutti Ah Rudy. And I'm going, Tutti Frutti Ah Rudy. And she goes, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. She goes, I know you know, the song. And I know who a Little Richard was, but we're not fans. I said, well, that's what your mother's telling me. Two weeks later, she contacts me. She said, Mark, I called my sister and told her this. She goes, that's really freaky because yeah, he is complaining about these headaches and that he can't see like when he's trying to do his homework. So we got to take him to the eye doctor. She, so my client said, I went with them. So it was my sister, her seven-year-old son and I, we went to the doctor's office, to the eye doctor. And the second we walked into his office on the radio, it started playing Tutti Frutti, Ah Rudy, by Little Richard.
0: Not something you often hear these days.
1: No, you don't. And when people say, oh, you're cold reading, really? Like I'm going to fling out Tutti Frutti, Ah Rudy, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> uh, we're way past a billion to one on this, but here is what's happening. Yes, it's a great story, but this... Let's go back to Einstein's theory of relativity. On the quantum electromagnetic level, the subatomic level... Time doesn't exist. Past, present, and future all happening simultaneously. Her mother's spirit comes through, says, my grandson needs glasses. So you need to get a medical attention because she can scan his body, pick up on the anomalies in his eyes. And to prove that you're in the right place at the right time, she was able to perceive another form of electromagnetic energy, which is radio waves, to let them know that this is the song that will be playing when they went to that doctor's appointment a week later. And I see this time and time again. And I love that example because I got a lot of examples with songs like that. But, you know, light is the only form of EM energy visible to the human eye. And if you take, let's say, a yardstick, the visible spectrum is less than an eighth of an inch. Ultraviolet, infrared, X rays, gamma rays. Uh, microwaves. I mean, you go on and on and on with the different forms of electromagnetic energy. The visible universe, according to NASA, is mostly dark matter, dark energy. We can only perceive without technology less than 10% of the universe
0: yeah, our, so, our our understanding is this much, and then you add the reticular activator system in that, and then what we focus on, you know, you've you've narrowed it that much more. It's it's pretty crazy how our perception, our shift of perception, can change our experience of reality, and and that's to me what's so excited about these near death experiences. That even people that are not leading very nice lives um, can have an upgrade by getting yep. a shift in perspective.
1: You can change. Um, can I tell one more story? It's absolutely. It's not, it's not so metaphysical, but it is a you can change story. Years back, and I'm not practicing law now uh, because I'm concentrating full time on my work as a medium, researcher, author. Um, but I represented this guy, and I'll never forget every time he came to the office, all the secretaries they're all like giggling. He was like one of those photoshopped guys, you know perfect jaw. I mean, the guy was just about as handsome as it gets, big blue eyes, the the curly black hair, chiseled features. And I think he even played Prince Charming at Disney one time. You know, that's how good looking he was, but he was a bad boy. I mean, he had a record a mile long and um, he was arrested for possession of of some pills, uh, some sedatives And he was telling me that somebody had borrowed his car and left him in his car. And I'm like, you know, come on, we hear that. No, no, that's what happened. That's what happened. And I'm looking at his rap sheet. You know, he'd stabbed somebody, Grand Theft Auto. I mean, he was a bad guy. okay, but a very handsome bad guy. And the thing is, he never did any time because it seemed like because he was so good looking, (laughs) you know, because good looking people, let's face it, they get treated better. They just do.
0: He couldn't be that bad. (laughs) He's so charming and so attractive. Yeah,
1: especially in, you know, as well, the problem is we're in front of, and I won't say the judge's name because I understand he's now a federal judge. (laughs) Okay. Mm, Ouch. But at the time he was a uh, circuit court judge, which covers felonies. And we walk into court and, and the thing about this judge, if he was wearing his glasses that was a bad sign because that meant that his contacts were irritating him and he had a headache. And so before you go in the courtroom, you go, I'll just call him Judge Smith. That wasn't his name, but it's Judge Smith wearing his glasses. I was walking in and I go, Smith wearing his glasses. And one of the other attorneys goes, oh yeah. And I'm like, uh-oh. So we walk into the courtroom and you know, so I'm giving my bit, you know, my clients here about it. Da, 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 and, you know, cause we were trying to get a deal on um, the prosecutor. Wasn't going to, you know, wasn't really working with us. And the judge says, counsel, I don't want to hear from you. I want to hear from your client. He goes, what happened? So, well, somebody borrowed my car and left the pills in them. And I'll never forget, the judge took his glasses off and he starts rubbing his temples. And I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. And he goes, do you think I'm an idiot? To, To the client. Oh, that's what happened. He goes, really? You want this court to believe that... Somebody left these drugs in your car and they're not yours. He goes, well, y- yes, your honor. That's the truth. And he's looking at my client's rap sheet. He goes, you're a very handsome young man. And I can see my client getting ready for the old slap on the wrist. And the judge said, and I think I'm going to send you to a place where your looks will be a detriment rather than a benefit. Ouch. And all of a sudden, I mean, the color drained from this guy's face. And he said, I'm gonna give you exactly five minutes to go out in the hall, talk to your lawyer, come back in here and tell me what really happened. All right. So we're out in the hall on this, you know, tough guys like crying and all this. And I go, dude, you have got to tell the judge the truth. So we go in there and he's shaking, and the judge goes, So, <laughs> this judge was great. He was great. He goes, So, were the drugs yours? yes, your honor. So you lied to the court. Yes, I did, your honor. Do you feel better having told me the truth? He goes, well, I don't know yet. <laughs> and and the judge said, I want you to apologize. He goes, I'm sorry. He goes, not to me, to your lawyer. You embarrassed him. And he said, you came in here with a lie trying to perpetrate this on the court. Okay. And, and he goes, I can send you to prison for five years. And this kid was just shaking. And the judge says, but I will give you one more chance. But he loaded him up. He made him go to drug counseling. He had to go to probation, drug tests like three times a week. I mean, he hammered this kid. And and on the way out, the prosecutor goes, oh, he'll flunk probation. He's a druggie, you know. So about three years later, my secretary message, you know, buzzes me. She goes, Mark, there's this guy here to see you. And she goes, oh, my God, he's so hot. And I'm like, what? And it was, it was him, you know? And I'm like, well, that's nice. Okay. And he comes in and I'm like, oh my God, I, I remembered him. I mean, it was hard to remember that, you know, forget that court appearance. And like, he's- well, What did you get busted on this time? Yeah. So I did. And he said, I just wanted to let you know, he goes, thank you for standing by me that day. He said, I, I, he goes, I, I'm married now. I have a little girl. He goes, he totally turned his life around. I said, so why are you here? He goes, well, I was driving uh, down the road and I saw um, your office sign and I just wanted to come in and thank you. And out of all the thousands of people I represented, represented, I, at least I got through to one of them. I think I got through to some more, but most of them, you know, most people don't want to change. So he may not have had a hellish near death experience, but let me tell you, that judge <laughs> gave him the next best thing. And that judge let him know. You screw up. And, and, and let me tell you, that particular judge, he would hammer you if he felt that that was, was what was necessary. And um, I really liked that judge, he also was, he was colorblind. And what I mean by that is, you know, we hear about how the legal system unfairly treats African-Americans. And, and yes, you know, I mean, the history speaks for itself. And I'll never forget, there was this young um, African-American guy there, and he had, I don't know what it was that he did, but the judge said, I want to sentence you, but before I do, I want you to sit there. And then he brought in all these other um, defendants that were at least 10 years older and more and hammered one right after the other. And this kid sat there and was like sobbing and crying. And then the judge brought him back up and said, so what have you learned? He said- Take a look at all of those people. Continue on the path you are, and that's your future. And I thought, you know, a lot of people used to get down on that judge, thinking, oh, he's you know, uh, real power hungry, but he wasn't. He could have, he could have trashed that young black kid's life, but he didn't. He gave he him a scare chance. Scared
0: straight. Remember the scared straight thing?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, And let me tell you, I think to some extent that it does work. And that that young man was sitting there and he saw all these guys that, you know, in his community were cool. Well, they're not cool anymore when they're all going to do hard time. Now, why are we talking about that? People can change. You don't need a near-death experience. You don't necessarily need uh, a, a difficult judge. It is that change that comes when you begin to accept your spiritual nature. And people have to understand nothing spiritual is controlling. Um, what's the difference between sp- spiritual messages and how do you tell the how do you tell if the spiritual message? Spiritual messages are never about anger, bigotry, hatred, or violence. They don't incite you to hurt other people. God does not tell you to murder your children. God does not tell you to fly planes into buildings. God does not tell you to put on a suicide vest. God does not tell you to take an AR-15 and go into a public place and shoot people. Those are um, byproducts of the brain, the human ego edging God out. The soul is housed in the brain. It doesn't create the brain, but the brain... And the brain did not create, excuse me, the brain did not create the soul. The brain does create the ego, edging God out. Messages from spirits are about peace, love, compassion, healing, understanding, forgiveness. And I
0: think it's written in scripture. I'm sure it is. I, I know, I, know sure, I quote it sure all the time, but you will know them by their fruits. So um, if people have better behavior, if they're showing more compassion, more love, more generosity, Um,
1: more creativity, more things that
0: result in goodness for humanity, then those are pretty
1: good fruits. Yes, absolutely. And now um, the lawyer part of me is jumping in. That does not mean take someone off the street and move them into your house. There are plenty of organizations, churches and other organizations that need your support, your donations, food, clothing. If you can afford to give money, that will do that. You have to be practical about this. Okay, because I do know um, a woman who took a man in off the street, and he stabbed her to death seventy something times. And I'm not trying to, you know, but but what I'm saying is, yes, be compassionate, be loving, but there are organizations which know how to do these things. Okay, that's who needs our support. The infrastructure is there. Let's work with it. Okay, Um, so. Yeah, well, you know, we we have to. I'm a spiritual person, but I'm also a practical person, and and we have to have to uh, balance the both. And but for the Do grace have of time God. Time for one going. more question.
0: Speaking about practical. Sure. So um, I I'm a big fan of the the book uh, Stealing Fire, uh, which you're probably familiar with, uh, but it talks about the the Navy SEALs. And um, since since your dad was a psychic Navy SEAL, how did that? affect his work. It must have played a role.
1: It was very difficult for him because he didn't quite understand it. Um, he noticed that before they went into a combat situation, some of his uh, colleagues had this dark aura around them. Those are the ones who died. And so my dad had a, a unique gift, one I'm Kind of thankful I didn't inherit. He could tell when people were going to die. Um, we'd be places, and 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 when he was older, and he would like shudder, and I go, what? He goes over there. There's that thing over them, and it was really weird. Um, recently, I saw an old remember that old TV show, The Twilight Zone. They were oh, playing it. Yeah, I watched it. every episode. <laughs> yeah, th- th- there was an episode where um, there was. Um, um, a soldier in world war II who could see this weird light on people's faces and then they would die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember like, I, I wrote about my dad's ability in one of the, one of my books and somebody said there was a twilight zone like that. And I didn't know that. And then I recently, I saw it. Um, so this must indicate my dad certainly is not the only person to have that ability. But um, he said that that, that always was something that that got him. He said, but, He said, you got to trust your gut. Be aware, trust your gut.
0: Great information. Um, I literally could talk to you for a month. um, So this has been so delightful. Um, I want to be respectful of your time and and hopefully we can have you on again. We've hardly touched the surface of grief. Um, and uh I think that's an important one because a lot of yes. people have lost loved ones and there's nothing more painful than that. You did no. say something uh really beautiful that grief
1: is the price that you pay for um experiencing love, love which is yeah. really kind of beautiful. It, it is. Um my my dear friend Father Father Sonny, um he was my priest and and my friend and the funniest guy. You know, normally you think of priest means really uptight, stray-laced guys. He had this, um, His order had a condo in Cocoa Beach, Florida. And I went to visit him one time and I, he answers the door and he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt and, uh, and baggies. And he goes, want a margarita? <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, he was a very, very spiritual man. Um, like when he was around, he just felt that everything was love. All the sermons were love. And that's what he told me. He said, Mark, grief is the price of love. You grieve as deeply as you love. That's a beautiful way to look at it. He said, a life without love isn't much of a life at all. So he said, when you are grieving, remember that. Remember that.
0: And you also made a really great point in your book that grief has a time and a place to stop so that you can go on living and that some people get stuck in the... Grief for maybe not so, and and you also indicate along with that that um, you don't know a spirit that's crossed over that is full of regrets. They're on to what they're on to and it's it's brighter and more beautiful. Um, can you just mention your thoughts on that?
1: Well, yes, but I also want to say that the other side, all the spirits say how wonderful it is, but for our listeners who are coping with depression and loss. We are, Tara and I uh, are in no way encouraging anyone to cut their lives short. We're here for a reason and every day is a gift and trust me, some days do not feel like a gift. Um, so, so you know, if you are feeling that, that's like you want to end your life, reach out. Okay, there's national suicide hotlines, go to your your faith community, go to your friends, you know, to the professionals because there's nothing wrong with doing that. That's the healthy thing to do. And so coping um, with loss, um, grief does not have an expiration date, but some people allow their grief to take on a life of its own and it becomes their life. But grief can evolve. One of the organizations that, I'm in, that I uh, uh, am affiliated with is known as Helping Parents Heal. And HelpingParentsHeal.com, beautiful organization, and that's what it does. It helps parents who have lost a child, the most devastating loss, uh, to heal. Uh, Grief is part of the human condition. It is the posterior's end of the human condition. It is horrible. It's a road nobody wants to take, but one we are shoved down at some point in our life. But you don't have to go through it alone. You know, my books, Never Letting Go evidence of eternity and the afterlife frequency um, were inspired by, uh, by grief. Um, and there are many, many organizations, uh, faith-related uh, or secular. Um, I, I recommend you never go through grief alone. And for guys, I'm going to talk to the men for a minute. We have tear ducks feelings and hearts for a reason. It has been scientifically proven that the tears of grief contain the neurotransmitters, the chemicals which cause depression. Crying is healthy. And I know what it is to be a guy. And I had a Navy SEAL for a dad, um, but my dad said a real man is never afraid to cry for somebody he loves who died. You can do it privately, park your car somewhere, cry your cry away, get it out of you, okay? And you'll feel better. So it is not unmanly to cry. And that's one of the things that I thought about so heavily the day my father died is that a real man is never afraid to cry for someone he loves who died.
0: I love that you said that. I love working with men because the courage that it takes them to feel their feelings based on what society has taught them is is so much more than it is for women. Um so that's beautiful. It's in my notes here and I'm so glad you said that cuz I have notes that could go on for quite a while in terms of conversation. And I also appreciate what you said about um you know reaching out because uh, my understanding is is that if somebody were to suicide it's kind of like failing the second grade. You just go back and re-experience that teaching or or lesson do you can do you agree with that or not
1: i do i do um you know reincarnation is quite complex and karma is involved and in, you know we could do a whole show just on reincarnation um so maybe we should schedule that yeah, and I can that's talk about great. the doctrine of samsara plus i've got some case studies some really fascinating case studies of reincarnation that uh there's no way to explain it other than this is what it is.
0: But I really appreciate you making that point that it's not the answer. Um and reaching out and getting help and connecting with others that can help you is the way to go.
1: Yeah, um hold on. 988. That's it. Um you know, we have like 911 for emergency, 988 is the suicide And crisis lifeline. So it's just if you're having that hard time, 988, 988. Um, And there are trained professionals who are caring and they're there for you. Um, Life is a beautiful gift, but sometimes it's very lonely and isolating. And everybody has those days, those times where you're in that pit of despair. I like what Winston Churchill said when you're going through hell, Keep going.
0: And a lot of times relief is just on the other side of whatever it is you're struggling with. Um, it's amazing how many people have the struggle of their life. And as they reach the other side of it, they they see the gift in it. Is that what you see often, Mark?
1: Uh, the, I do. I do. You know, and, you know, people think, oh, you're always so open, Peppy. It's like, oh, I got my days too. You know, there's days it's like, you know, we all have down days. And the thing is... If life teaches us anything, like the good times don't always last, but neither do the bad times. Okay, and when it is our, you know, the the message I'd like to leave with everybody is it was conveyed to me very directly in my enlightenment experience that God exists, heaven, the afterlife exists, our souls, our electromagnetic souls, are immortal living beings. We can communicate with those souls and that we will all be reunited when it is our time our appointed time to leave this material world and that to me is very encouraging so there are days life doesn't feel very much like a gift and then there's days that it feels like you know you've won first place at the you know uh, at the county fair but uh, most of the time, it's, it's a mix in between. And happiness isn't something that we wallow in. Because I want to be happy, I want to be happy. All right, happiness is not a swimming pool that you slosh around. And rather, happiness is looking back on a tapestry of your life. And the tapestry is made of many different threads. Some of them are dark and painful. Others are bright and joyous. Happiness is more joyous threads than the than the neutral ones or the uh, the dark and painful ones and uh, to a large extent life is what you make it sometimes we are dealt a very difficult hand but that is the challenge of living in the material world
0: that is so great mark thank you so much for joining us um i would Love to have you on in a future show because there's so much to talk about. Uh, folks, we've been listening to Mark Anthony. He is the author of The Afterlife Frequency, Evidence of Eternity and Never Letting Go. They're all available on Audible, I believe. Uh, Mark, is that right?
1: They are. And I've got a U.S. tour coming up. Please visit my website, AfterlifeFrequency.com, just like uh, just like my book, The Afterlife Frequency, and sign up for my newsletter and go to the calendar of events and you'll see what I got cooking. Plus, I have a weekly show, The Psychic and the Doc, every Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Call in. I'll do a reading in conjunction with my co-host, Dr. Pat. She's she's great. Um, and we're here to help. That's why we're here. Just like Dr., Dr. Tara Perry is here to help you. And that's why people like... Uh, Tara and I do what we do. It's like, yes, we have these you know, incredible experiences and all that, and that's all fine, well, and good, but that's not what it's about. It's about helping other people.
0: And so, nothing feels better than that. And, and yeah, we doesn't. can all do that on some level. Even just smiling at somebody at the supermarket can prevent somebody from committing suicide or could inspire them to go on and create the cure for the next uh, illness that people are suffering from. That it can. So folks, if you got value from this, please click uh, subscribe and uh, we'll see you on the next episode of Next Level Healing. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Next Level Healing. Please like, subscribe, and let us know how this helped you. How can it be even more life-changing? We love hearing from you. And if you're eager to upgrade your life, click the button here or go to consultterra.com and get your free customized GPS map. Get the coordinates for where you are now and where you want to go. Clients consistently report it's faster and easier than they thought possible. Remember, you were meant for more, and it is available to you. See you right here next week for our next episode.